Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Today we start a brand new series called Summer in the Psalms. And I got to be honest, uh, the way we put together our sermon calendars, we kind of decide prayerfully what we believe God is allowing us to, to kind of look at in his word. Uh, we do that in advance. We really pray through it and we try to plan uh, as far in advance as we can to, to, to plan and to uh, do as many things as we can to be prepared for you and to put our, our best efforts into creating uh, just great services. But we also always pray, I mean, up to the day, I mean, up to last night, I'm praying, Lord, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to deliver your word today and this week? And, and this is one of those series that we talked about last fall. We, we put this together as a staff back in like October that we wanted to spend the summer in the Psalms. And, uh, and so I've been thinking about it for months, but as I was preparing for this week, I really feel like that this summer, honestly, for some of us could be a shaping summer. I don't use that lightly. I don't, I don't try to say that with like some kind of grandiose like pastor exaggeration or anything. I really believe for some of us that this summer in the Psalms, spending some time in this book of the Bible, which we're gonna talk about in just a minute, man, I think that this could be like some formation time for some of us in our faith journey. And the reason that I think that is because I believe that the Psalms are one of the most amazing parts of Scripture. Now, if you've attended here for any length of time, every time we go to a verse of Scripture, I always say, oh, this is one of my favorite you know, Scriptures, or this is my favorite book. I'm sorry, I like a lot of it, okay? I don't know what to tell you. But man, as I've been reading through the Psalms over the last few months in preparation for today, man, I love the Psalms. I really, really do. And, and, and be, the reason that I do is because I think that the Psalms are one of the clearest places that we find the emotion of the human experience kind of laid out in Scripture. There's other places where we can tend to make the, the characters of Scripture, and I do use that phrase lightly, like the men and women of the Bible, like we can make them like a little bit uh, unhuman, inhumane, right? Because it's like, oh, well, they're these faith-filled people that never struggled, never doubted. I mean, they just followed God with full abandon. Like there was no, but then you read the Psalms and it's like, oh God, kill my enemies, kill me now. Like, I don't know if I can make it through another day, but Lord, I lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes. I mean, like, you see this amazing, like crazy uh, swing of emotions and maybe that's not how you live your life. But I mean, I've got good days and I've got bad days. And even within my good days, sometimes I've got good afternoons and bad afternoons. And like, even in one conversation, I can swing from a high to a low. And so when I read the Psalms, there's so much about these individuals in scripture that I can identify with. And so what I thought we would do today is, is really kind of set it up. But each week we're going to look at a different psalm uh, from this book. And so what you can do is if you've got a Bible or you've got an app, you can go there with me now uh, and just kind of start at the very beginning. We're not going to read all the psalms today. We're not even going to read all of one of the psalms really. Well, I, I take that back. We are going to read one of the psalms all the way through. But uh, as we read through these, we're really just going to kind of set the table for where we're going to spend all the time this summer in June and July. There are 150 psalms that are collected in this book. And I thought before we jumped into any of them individually, it would be important for us, if we're going to spend two months together in this, in this book, to really understand a little bit about what we're reading. So often the Psalms are called like the Hebrew songbook. If you grew up in a church that had a hymnal or you had a songbook and, you know, the, the worship leader would stand up and say, turn to page 38, right? And, and some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I mean, like that's when the Holy Ghost would fall, right? But the idea being here, that's kind of what the book of Psalms is to the Hebrew people. 
to the Israelite people because what they had is they had these collection of psalms that really were this poetry that would then be set to some type of, of music. <clears throat> Excuse me. I remember when I was a younger man, technology wasn't what it is now. Now you can stream anything that you want to as far as music. But I remember when I would go and buy a brand new CD. Now, some of you, you, you have more years on me. Than, you know, so like you remember when technology was not even to CD. It was cassettes and it was eight tracks and it was, it was vinyls and all those kind of things. But, but I remember when I, when I had a brand new CD, you had to rip the like plastic off. And evidently, like that's how they were keeping criminals at bay because you could never get that plastic off of those things. So you would finally rip that off and then you would open it up. And part of the experience of a brand new CD, if you were listening to the music, is you would put the CD in and you would listen to the music, but then you would take the cover out of the front of that thing and you would read through all of the things that the artist had put in there. There was some, you know, some like, I want to thank, you know, all these people and here's what they did. And here's all the people that played instruments on each of the tracks. And here's the lyrics of every song. And so you would open those up and you would read through the lyrics of these individual songs and you would, you would see who wrote the song and who co-wrote the song and all of this information and you felt like it gave you like a better experience at least in, in my experience then it, you felt like you had a better understanding of each of the individual tracks because you knew like who was playing the song and who wrote this though this guy wrote this actual song himself and you could read all the lyrics for yourself and so there was this incredible well that's kind of what the psalms are it's it's like the inside cover of the cd It's like you reading through the lyrics of all of these different things that maybe David is writing or Moses is writing. And so when we come to the Psalms, it's important to recognize that there are a number of authors of the, of the Psalms here. There's 150 of them already said Uh, about half of them. We don't know who the author is. So approximately 70 to 75 of these Psalms, we, we do not fully know who the author is. Now there's a lot of speculation about many of those. So we've got some pretty good guesses on a lot of them. But some of them are just anonymously written and delivered to us, and so we're not really sure. Others of them, we very specifically know who it is, and maybe it even spells it out for us as we're reading. It might say this is a psalm of David. Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm in the book. It was written about 1400 BC, and it was from Moses. And so Psalm 90, the oldest, was written 1440 BC, and really the newest psalm, if you could even say that, was written during the Babylonian exile. It was written in like the 500s BC, so you've got about a thousand years that these psalms were being collected, and so you've got David who wrote a bunch, you've got Moses who obviously wrote some, you've got, you've got a lot of the workers of the temple, the, the worshipers of the temple, because of how the worship was taking place, they collected and wrote some of these, and so there's a lot of compilation here. This is really one of two books books that are a compilation of authors, the other being Proverbs. And so as we think about how this book was constructed, it was really compiled in manuscript type of form uh, in about the second century BC. So again, I'm giving you all that and you're like, this is, I didn't come for history class. I'm just giving you a little context before we dive in to some of this context here, into some of this content. But the idea being that there's a lot of different authors bringing a lot of different emotion, bringing a lot of different experience, bringing a lot of different history to this place as we begin to read through the Psalms. I think it's important for us one other thought to recognize that a lot of times when you read through the Psalms, you might see some phrasing that would be a little bit interesting unless you recognize that it is kind of their hymnal. So you would see some of these Psalms as you're reading through that says, uh, for the music director. And then it might say, to be uh, to the tune of lilies, right? And so what you recognize is you're looking at poetry and they're telling the music director 
how do we want to sing this? How do we want to declare this together? And so there's instructions even written there. You see some other phrasing throughout some of the Psalms. There's a word that's mentioned uh, a number of times throughout the Psalms. It's a word that says Selah. I used this in a sermon a couple years ago and I was made fun of for it because Selah is kind of like an, 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 uh, an instruction to just pause and reflect and meditate. And so in a sermon one time, I was saying, hey, when we get to this point, let's just say law, let's just pause and let's reflect on that. And Pastor Trevor said, evidently, I just didn't have enough content that day. I just took pauses everywhere. I felt like I was missing something to say, which was not true. But uh, anyway, we're still working on him. Just pray for him if you would. But you come to those places in the Psalms and it's just like, hey, you want to pause right here. You want to reflect. This is an emotion filled book. It's a book of worship. It's a book of praise. It's a book of, of crying out in anguish to God. It's a, it's a book of, of declaring the goodness and greatness and power and strength of God. And so if you've ever had a day where you've ever thought anything remotely like, Lord, blot out my enemies. Lord, kill them all, right? You've got a lot in common with the psalmist. Congratulations, right? But the other thing that I love about the psalms, before we jump in, I've said that two or three times, before we jump in, one other thing that I love is that there are some specific places that we look to in the Psalms that we can easily connect the dots back to another place that we have a story in Scripture. So I want to give you an example. This is not where we're going to spend our time today, but I thought this was just a really cool thing that we could kind of see together. I want you to, if you got a Bible, you got an app, it's going to be up on the screen. I want you to flip with me to 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel 19, if you're not sure where it's at, use your table of contents. You bought the whole thing, you get to use it. 1 Samuel 19, verse 11, this is what it says. It says, then Saul sent troops to watch David's house, and they were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you'll be dead by morning. So pause just for a second. You're like, I thought this was somewhere in the Psalms. Now we're in Samuel. I'm confused. Just setting a story up here that in the book of 1 Samuel, we see that King Saul, who was the first king of Israel, he does not like who would eventually become the second king of Israel. And so he's now chasing him down. David is married to Saul's daughter, Michael. And so Saul sends an army to sit outside of David's house overnight. And the instruction is as soon as he walks out his front door to get his newspaper in the morning, kill him. All right. So David hears the commotion. He looks out the window. He pulls the blinds back. He sees like there's some guys waiting for me. And Michael says to him, hey, here's the deal. If you don't escape tonight, you cannot escape tomorrow. So like this is a pretty cool movie. Like you would watch this on TNT at some point in your house. Like this is a really cool story. We're watching this. Now, if you go to the Psalms, if you go to Psalm 59, you find the Psalm that David wrote, many scholars would say that night while he was watching these guys stage around his house. Psalm 59 says this, it says for the choir director, a Psalm of David regarding the time Saul sent soldiers to watch David's house in order to kill him to be sung to the tune of do not destroy. Just in case you know that good old hymn of the church, beginning in verse one, rescue me from my enemies. O God, protect me from those who have come to destroy me. Rescue me from these criminals. Save me from these murders. They've set an ambush for me. Fierce enemies are out there waiting. Lord, though I have not sinned or offended them, I've done nothing wrong, yet they prepare to attack me. Wake up, see what is happening, and help me. O Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, wake up and punish these hostile nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They come out at night, snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. Listen to the filth that comes from their mouths. Their words cut like swords. After all, who can hear us, they sneer. But Lord, you laugh at them. You scoff at all the hostile nations. You are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me, for you, O God, are my fortress. In his unfailing love, my God will stand with me. He will let me look down on, in triumph on all my 
enemies. If I was just reading Psalm 59 by myself, if I was just reading it with no connection, it's like, oh, that's interesting that he would be talking about like these vicious dogs out at night. But when I read it in the context of connecting it to the story that he's sitting in his living room, listening to the guys get ready to figure out how to kill him when he walks out in the morning, it takes on an entirely different emotional experience. If you've ever tried to figure out why the people at work don't like you, if you've ever tried to figure out why people seem to be plotting against you and working against you, you've ever had any of this like swing of emotion, like, Lord, I hope you do something to these people because I've done nothing wrong, but Lord, you're my fortress. You protect. I don't need to fight for myself. You fight for me. Like you see this swing of emotion, it connects to the story, and to me, it makes it so much richer. And so as I read through these Psalms, I connect to the emotion of the author, and I recognize that God created us with emotion, and he desires for us to express that in different ways. So here's what I want you to do as we dive in today into Psalm 1. That's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time, Psalm 1. I want you to make a commitment with me. If you would, not everybody will, there are 150 Psalms. There's about 49 days from now to the end of this sermon series. So if you do the math, you're talking about approximately three Psalms a day if we were to read these together. Now, not every day would you have to read three. You might have to add another one here or there. And some days, you, you know, it's a longer psalm. You know, you get to Psalm 119, that's going to take you a hot minute, okay? But some of these, you could read a few of them together, and it wouldn't take you three or four minutes to read four or five psalms. But I would love for us to consider digging in and reading through the psalms together this summer, because I really do believe it would help unlock so much about who God is in each of our lives. So let's dig in today, Psalm 1. This is what it says. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Here in Psalm 1, we see this incredible comparison between the righteous and the wicked. We see this incredible, you know, side-by-side look at what it looks like to be righteous and what it looks like to be wicked and what are some traits of each type of person. And so as you read through the first verse there of Psalm, you see, oh, the joys. I was reading from the New Living Translation. If you're reading from the NIV or another place, you might see something like blessed are those, very similar to the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapter five. Blessed are those who, blessed are those, blessed are those who do not here in this passage. And so we see that blessed are you, oh, the joys of people who, really this is just saying like your life's gonna be better if you do certain things and you don't do other things. Maybe you've already experienced that in your life. Like your life is going to be better if you choose to live a certain way and your life is not going to be better if you choose to live a different way. And so Psalm 1 lays out, before we dive into all 150 Psalms, before you really get to anywhere else in the Old Testament or the New Testament, like this is just a great place to like, okay, what does it look like to be righteous and what does it look like to be wicked? And there are a few things we're going to spend the rest of our time today just kind of unpacking here, these little short phrases for a couple minutes together. Here's one of them. Blessed are those who do not listen to the advice of the wicked. Now that seems like straightforward. It's like, well, if I know somebody's wicked, I'm not going to, it's not like Wizard of Oz, like, oh, that's the Wicked Witch of the West. I'm not going to listen to her. Like, no, no, no. Wicked people don't look wicked face to face often. 
Like so often it just looks like an ordinary person and so we, we gotta kind of figure it out. So here's like a filtering question for me. Whose advice am I listening to? And has their life turned out the way I want mine to turn out? Is their life headed in the direction that I want my life to be headed in? I saw something the other day as I was preparing and it said, uh, don't listen to criticism from someone that you don't take advice from. I thought that was pretty good. I wrote that down. You may want to do that too. Like, don't listen to criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from. Like, if I wouldn't listen to you as you're trying to make me better, I'm not going to listen to you as you try to tear me down. But here's another thought. As I think about where I'm taking advice from, be careful taking advice from someone whose life doesn't reflect where you're trying to go. Like, it doesn't mean that I don't listen to a lot, a lot of types of people. I, I read a lot of different types of books. I, I, I try to expose myself to a lot of different types of resources. But when I'm ultimately trying to make decisions, I'm filtering all those things back through God's word. I'm filtering all of those things back through like the fruit of someone's life and how they're living and the direction that they're headed. And and so we've talked a lot in the last few months about which way our arrow is headed. God is not calling us to perfection. He's calling us to pursue. We just turn our arrow towards him and we stay in pursuit of him. And so if I'm asking someone for advice, I'm asking someone whose arrow is also pointed in that general direction. I'm not asking someone whose life is oriented around things that are contrary to who I want to be and contrary to the word of God to try to determine what I should do with my life. And so whose advice are you taking? Who, who are you listening to? They don't, blessed are those who don't take advice from the wicked. Here's a second one that's right there in the scripture. Blessed are those who don't stand around with sinners. Now, it sounds a little harsh to say that, doesn't it? It sounds like, man, we're, we're just, we're just kind of going right at people now. We're just judging people. But the idea here is Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He hung out and spent some time in the homes of sinners. He, he intentionally engaged people. But his entire relationship with those people was drawing them towards his father. And so as I think about the relationships that I have, I need to be asking myself this question. Is my relationship with them drawing them closer to Jesus or me further away from him? Like how much time am I spending with people whose arrow is pointed in another direction? John Maxwell says, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you the next five years of your life. Like it's it's an evaluation of relationship. Who am I actually standing around? Who am I hanging out with on a regular basis? Who am I allowing by osmosis to really shape the decisions that I make, which leads us to the next one. It says, blessed are those who don't join in with the mockers. The idea being here, if you look in other translation, this idea of mockers, these are people who were, who were against the people of God. They were people who were kind of chastising those who were following after uh, the law and, and chasing after and keeping the law of God. These were people that were coming against them. Sometimes they were religious people. Sometimes they were non-religious people, but they were very much against the people of God. And so blessed are those who don't join in with the mockers. But if I look at this in kind of a linear way, what do I expect to happen? If I'm taking advice from people whose arrows pointed a different direction than mine, and I'm standing around hanging out with a ton of people who are influencing my life, and they are in no way chasing the same things that I'm trying to chase, absolutely I'm going to start behaving like them. I mean, I know this sounds like an old curmudgeon, and maybe so, and I don't mean to, but like I really do think that it matters how we live. I really do think that our behavior tells a story. And I want the way that I live to tell the story of the grace of God toward me. 
And even in my own imperfections, there's a recognition of that. There's a repentance of that. There's a turning back to God every time that I feel like I've fallen short. And I say, God, help me to put these pieces back together and to chase after and pursue you with all of my heart. A lot of things, you, know, you don't just behave a certain way. Like there are things that lead to that type of behavior. Gandhi has a famous quote and it works all the way from like theoretical things all the way down to behavior. If I could summarize it, it kind of goes like this. Thoughts become belief. And belief becomes behavior. Your thought life is important. The things that you listen to are important. The the people that you listen to are important. Jesus expanded on this idea in the Gospels when he said pretty much whatever goes into you, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks, whatever gets into you is going to come out of you. And so our behavior matters and our behavior is a byproduct of the things that we allow into our life, the people that we listen to, the relationships that we have, determines the behavior of our lives. And so then there's this flip. It goes from like, blessed are those who don't do these things. And then we change the course and it's like, no, no, no. But like, here's what you should do. Blessed are these people that do this. Oh, the joys of people that do these things. The first of them is that they love the law of the Lord. They love the law of the Lord. Now, at the time of of the Psalms being collected, there was no New Testament. So it couldn't be just like, blessed are those who love the Bible, because they didn't have the Bible like you and I have. It couldn't just be like, blessed are those who love the Old Testament, because there was no New Testament. It was just the Testament, right? And it wasn't even compiled in that way. So blessed are those who love the law of the Lord. What was the law of the Lord? The law of the Lord was really the, the, the Pentateuch. It was that, that first five books of what we have as the Old Testament. It was the, the stories of God handed down But then it was also the laws of the Lord, the actual things that God had given to his people to really form them into a people, to form and shape them into who they were to become as they were moving in among these non-godly people. God said, hey, I want you to live in a way that people recognize like you're mine. And so as you do that, there's some things you gotta do. And there's over 700 laws that are spelled out there in, in these early books of the Old Testament And what the book of Romans in the New Testament tells us is this powerful picture. What it tells us is that without the law, which if you're reading it, it, you could be like, I can't keep that. Like, there's no way I could do that. One one of my favorite laws, if there is a law, now not present day law, like there's a lot of those I don't like, but the Old Testament laws, right? One of my favorites is that if you are walking anywhere in public and you trip And in your tripping, you knock someone else down and they were to die. You have some specific things that you have to do to find restitution there in in your action, from your actions. So you tripped, you didn't mean to, you didn't didn't like cold-blooded kill this guy. You just tripped and as you're tripping, you knock him down and he hits his head on a rock and he dies. Here's what you gotta do, just in case this ever happens to you and you're living by the Old Testament law, here's what you gotta do. You gotta go get two birds, okay? And you gotta kill the one bird, and in killing the one bird, you got to take all the blood from that bird and you got to put it into a bowl. And you got to collect it there in that bowl. And then you take the other bird and you tie it to a, to a, like a tree branch. And you put a, a hyssop on it there, the, kind of the hyssop branch, and you make sure that there's a piece of it that's falling. And you dip that blood of that bird, of the dead bird, on the new bird. And then you use that branch to kind of make sure it gets fully covered. And then you release the live bird just in case you need to do this if you've ever tripped and accidentally killed a guy. Now you're like, I don't, I, don't, I mean, what in the world are we talking about here? This, I thought this was summer in the Psalms. I'm so confused again. Until you recognize the story of the Gospels of the New Testament. 
Jesus came and died. And his blood was spilled out. And you and I, when we accept the free gift of salvation, our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus and we are released to go free. The book of Romans in the New Testament tells me that without the law of the Old Testament, I wouldn't even know I was guilty. Like I would think I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm okay. I think I got things pretty much together. Like I'm doing all right. Until I go back and I read through the law of the Old Testament, I recognize like there's no way I could keep the law. There's no way I can honor God in every aspect of my life. I fall short time and time and time again. And so the law actually exposes me to my guilt. And Jesus exposes me to my ability to be made whole and free and forgiven. And so blessed are those who love the law of the Lord. My prayer for my children since they were really little is God, would you give them a thirst and a hunger for your word? Like, don't just let them read it. I I remember, I mean, like a couple days ago, like reading again, it happens on a really regular, reading is like, I I don't know what this means. Like if you're ever trying to figure out how to fall asleep at night, just go read Leviticus, right? Read numbers. We just start counting people, right? And it's like, I don't, I don't understand. But like, Lord, help me, help me to fall in love with your word. Use your word to expose truth to me. Let me love the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who love the law of the Lord. And then it goes on to say, meditate on it day and night. Meditate on it day and night. The name of our church is Generations Church. We draw that from Deuteronomy chapter six. And in Deuteronomy six, one of the amazing parts of that chapter is that parents are commanded. Not, it's not just like implied. They are commanded to take the scriptures, to take the law and pass them on to their children. To write them on the doorposts and to talk about them when you sit down to eat and to talk about them as you walk down the road. Like meditate on them day and night. Read it, write it, journal it. Sing it, pray it, talk about it. Every chance that you get, get it into us being rooted in God's word. Some are in the Psalms. Read a couple Psalms every single day and see if you can't get through them in June and July. And if you're not really sure that you can, make it June and July and August. And if you're not sure that you can, make it June and July and August and September. But meditate on it day and night. Open up the Bible app on your phone and grab a reading plan and just read Every day, just a little thing, just a few verses. Like just read a little bit. Get it into, meditate on it day and night. Scripture says, how does a young man stay pure? By hiding God's word in his heart. By hiding God's word, meditate on it day and night, reading it and allowing scripture to read us. Meditate on it day and night. Last thought is this. It says, then you will be like a tree planted on the riverbanks, bearing fruit in each season. Then you will be like a tree, planted on the riverbanks, and you're gonna bear fruit in each season. It matters where you plant yourself. I, I have no green thumb. It's, it's not even really brown. It, whatever color kills everything, that's the color thumb I have. 
I don't have that skill. I don't have that ability. My wife does. It's awesome to watch the things that she's, she and Kenley are growing like strawberries and all kinds of really cool things. We've got an animal we're trying to deal with in the backyard, but like it matters where you plant stuff. It matters where you plant yourself. Like it matters who you hang out with. It matters who you listen to, who you take advice from. If you do these things, if you abstain from these things that like are not going to help you grow in relationship with God and you fall in love with the things of God, you're gonna be like a tree that's planted by the riverbanks. Constant source of this life-giving resource of water. Jesus had this same image when he was talking to a woman that was sitting with him one day at a well. And they're having this conversation. There's a great conversation that takes place. But one of the main points here is Jesus says, listen, if you... If you drink from me, you're never gonna thirst again. You drink from the things of the world, like you're always gonna be thirsty. You're always gonna be, you're always gonna be searching for more because our flesh has this like unquenchable appetite. We always, it doesn't matter how full I get at a meal. About 30 minutes later, I'm like, when are we eating next? Because that's just the way we're wired. That's the way we're created. But Jesus said, enough, you come and drink from me. You come and consume who I am. Like you don't, you don't have a thirst for anything else. You're like a tree that's planted by this riverbank, the water. This image of the movement of God, the purpose of God, the plans of God. I'm right there. And not only am I connected to that, I'm bearing fruit. John 15 says that's really, I've just got to stay connected to the vine and bear much fruit. That, that's all we're called to. I can't worry about results. I just worry about staying connected to who he is. And when I do, he just continues to produce this fruit in my life. I bear fruit in each season. So here's the question. You bearing fruit right now? Is your life bearing fruit? Are good things coming out of you? What does your life look like and how is it producing good things? How's your marriage? How's your attitude? What habits do you have right now? How's your language? So often religion has been about changing those things, the external, and then coming to God. And God's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Just plant yourself in me and I actually do the changing. I actually produce those things. I, I, I produce that out of your life when you are connected to me. So plant yourself near the river of God and begin to bear fruit and invest yourself in his word. Get advice from people who are in a growing relationship with him and hang out with people in G groups and on a G team here on Sundays and Every chance you get, be in church. Every chance you can't, be online, in church. Like it really matters where you plant yourself. And I promise you, you're gonna look back in eight weeks, eight months, and we stole this from another church that I just loved it so much, but like if you'll just give God a year, but you'll just go all in and just give him everything, just... Just be a part of everything that you can. Be in church every single chance you get and join a group and join a team and go through discovery track and do all of those things. Like if you'll just dive in for a year, I promise you at the end of that year, you're gonna look back and you're not even gonna recognize who you are because of the fruit that God is producing in your life. So there's a lot today. A lot of things, a lot of thoughts. 
So where do we start? Very simply. Just take one step. Just take one step. And only you really know what that one step is. Maybe you're taking some bad advice from some people that aren't headed the same direction you are. You need to kind of lower the volume of those voices in your life. And that's your step. Maybe you're, you're hanging out with the wrong people. You need to change the places that you're hanging out and the people you're hanging out with. Cut some relationships off. And say, hey, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I, we need to back away. For, I, I need to take a break. I need to... Because you just want to make sure that they're not influencing you in a way that's leading you away from what you say you're about. Maybe it's behavior. Maybe there's some things that you know right now you're doing that you should not be doing. You're joining in with the mockers. Like you are doing things contrary to who you want to be. And you want to stop those things. And so you try to dig in to figure like, where did this start? What's the root of this? And how can I kind of get access to that and make some changes in my life? I got to change some behavior. Maybe it's loving the law of the Lord. Maybe it's just making a commitment every day. I'm going to read the Psalms. That's where we're going to start. I'm just going to meditate on it day and night. I'll start talking about it. Maybe journal through the summer while we're traveling or doing some other. I'm just going to, I'm going to take a step in one of these directions and believe that that's the first step in what God is asking me to do as I plant myself in him. It matters where you're planted. So I'm going to ask you right where you're at, just bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. This is just a moment of reflection. A lot of thoughts today, a lot of things from God's word. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I know my first step is that I need to be saved. I am a sinner in need of a savior. I need God to forgive me and to lead my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. You can put it right back down. For those that are watching online, I encourage you to respond as well. Let us know you're taking that step, making that decision. And now very generally, I'm just encompassing all of those things we just talked about. If you know today you need to take a step, you need to lower some voices in your life, you need to maybe step away from some relationships in your life, you need to maybe change some behavior in your life, you need to fall more in love with the word of God in your life. Whatever that step is, you know it. You and God are talking about it right now. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. So many hands. So many hands today. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for times of prayer. I thank you for everyone that's in this place and everyone watching online. And today, God, we just ask you now in this moment to respond to those who have acknowledged their need for you to do something. So God, I pray right now for every person that's acknowledged their sinful nature. They need you to forgive them and to be the Lord of their life. And God, I pray for every person that lifted their hands that they want to take a step Maybe they need to lower the volume of some voices, some advice, step away from relationships, change some behavior, fall more in love with your word, whatever that step is, and maybe it's something different, but they know they need to move in that direction. God, would you give them the confidence and the boldness to move that way? And as they do, God, would you more firmly plant them by the riverbanks with your presence and your power? And God, would they begin to see the fruit of a growing relationship with you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. 
Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.